0: Wonder working in the Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. You may wish to adjust the dial you're currently tuned into. The wrong station. Come on! Weep for Christ's sake! Oh, fuck. You have money on that? Well, good. Stupid thing to do. Are you even fond of the blood sport, or just happened to be here tonight? Mm, yeah. Oh Christ, I-, I saw this coming before the fight even started. Did you see the guys in this corner? Just fucking standing there, like they're at the counter waiting for lunch? No plan, no presence. How's a guy supposed to win with no backup, huh? Me? Fight? No. Well, I did junior circuit for a few years, but no, I never fought pro. Though, no, I did work at a gym for a few years while I was at college. You know, did a bit of training. Other boxers, I mean. And I apprenticed as a cup man for a few years after that. Before I decided it wasn't for me. A cup man? uh, A cup man is a... Well, boxing is a brutal sport. You know, you get nosebleeds, you get swelling, you get... cut. And things like that, blood in the eye, blood down your throat. They can take you out of a fight long before you get knocked out. That's where your cup man comes in. The second the bell rings the round is over, they're in that corner with cotton swabs, a cold compress, and whatever proprietary cocktail of anticoagulants they've mixed up. Whatever it takes to get their fighter back out in the ring. Of course, they're not really doctors, and it's not really medicine. Well, on the contrary, you're patching your guy up so you can send him back out there to get hurt some more. But nothing that they didn't sign up for. If no boxer ever took a punch, he wouldn't need cutmen at all. That's it. Something my mentor used to say. No, he's probably still saying it. Now he was truly something. Maybe the best there's ever been. In my opinion. I'd say that the man could stop a laceration just by looking at it. But that'd be doing him a discredit. There was nothing magical about his skills. It was just pure science. (laughs) He'd probably hate it if he knew I was talking about him like this. I mean, he didn't even like people knowing his name didn't want to draw attention to himself, didn't want to distract. The problem there, though, is that he simply became known as the Cut Man, which wasn't much better. Other corners feared him, even the other boxer would. His mere presence would strike a psychological blow before the fight even began, because anyone who knew anything knew that whatever punches they threw, whatever damage they did, would be undone by that man's golden hands. Or at least it would seem that way on the surface, because he was just a man, but they didn't know that, and breaking a boxer's spirit is half the battle. And that is who taught me. Not that I was great or anything. I was good, because I did exactly what he told me to do. Anybody would be at least fine if they did that. But uh, I never had the- (laughs) shit, I never had what made him so great. I studied under him for about three years. While I was still at the gym, one of our boxers had a national title match and hired the cup man to help sweeten the odds. We won, of course, and in the process the cup man took a quiet liking to me. I was good at taking direction, quick at my feet, and I had steady hands. Took me under his wing after that, and it was a busy time in my life. I saw a lot of fights, good fights, and we won most of them. Which meant a decent bit of scratch, too. A cup man takes their pay out of the prize winner's purse. And even the morsels that trickled down to me were enough to pay rent and buy groceries. So then, why did I stop? If we were winning, if I was making a living, if I was well on my way to taking what I'd learned and making a career for myself. Well, I have to tell you about the last fight I ever worked to explain that. Jimmy DaCosta super welterweight ranker, was going up against the WBC number two in the division. You ever heard of Jimmy DeCosta? Maybe not. He never fought in a world title match, but he had a few big fights. Ben Curry, John the Hammer Hatton. Though, he didn't get many chances to headline. I liked Jimmy. Friendly guy, good sense of humor, and utterly tenacious, just completely fearless. Qualities, which sometimes did him more harm than good, See, Jimmy was a bit of a hammer, a slugger through and through, and the crowds that did come out to his fights loved him for it. But there would be times that the guy would take twice as many punches as he gave. It's a miracle his career lasted as long as it did. So, being a fighter who prided himself on the vicious beatings he could take while giving some of his own right back, naturally, he needed a good cut man. Someone to make sure he wasn't disqualified when he took a cut above the eye. Someone to bring down the swelling so he could actually see the guy he was trying to hit. That'd be us. Him. I'd already worked in his corner for three fights before, but this was a big one. You could feel the excitement and electricity. You could smell the desperation in the air. If he won this one, he'd be number two in the rankings. A hair away from challenging for the belt. And like I said, Jimmy's path there had been a brutal one. The sad truth is that some boxers just don't last as long in the sport as others. And Jimmy didn't have much time. So, with the fights his body had left, he wanted to prove that he was a contender. Someone to be taken seriously, more than a punching bag. It was a lot on the line. And it certainly wasn't going to be easy. We were up against Samuel Sloan. Now, maybe there's a name you've heard of. This was back when he was still climbing up the ranks. But even then, everyone in the business knew that he was the real deal. The lean, brutally efficient exemplar of the sweet science. A genius, with thunder in his gloves. The oddsmakers didn't have it in our favor. Even I was scratching my head trying to think of a scenario where Jimmy could pull this out. Up until we were walking out into the hall. Lights on us, music blaring, the crowd cheering. But when I looked over to the cup man, he was steady. Not that i ever seen him be anything other than steady, but... I don't know, it, it just seemed like such an uphill battle. But he was still... Ice cold, tight, thin lips, and dark, crisp, sensible sunglasses hiding any emotion. Hardly a bead of sweat was dripping from his big head, sprinkled with that tight crop of salt and pepper. And I still don't know if that's because he had no doubts in his mind that Jimmy would win, or whether it's because he knew that the coin would fall as it may, and there was no calling it for sure, and it was just his job to skew those chances as best he could. But either way, it made me steady. Jimmy had climbed up into the ring. The ref was giving him and Sloan instructions. There wasn't time for any more niggling doubts. We had a job to do. There was one last, slow, long moment for me to take it all in. The crowd had worked themselves up into a frenzy, but in this moment, I couldn't hear them. There were only the lights and the vibrations. I didn't know then that this was going to be my last time there at the center of things, in the mix of it all, and like I said, I tried to push my doubts to the side, but there was still something foreboding in the air. The bell rang. Jimmy rushed out of his corner in a headlong charge. Sloan glided forward to meet him, easily avoiding the first salvo Jimmy sent his way. My eyes stayed fixed on the two of them. Win or lose, this was always how I was going to start. Sloan was quicker on his feet and had two and a half inches on us. He dove and ducked out of the way of each of Jimmy's hard punches, peppering him with small, quick jabs for his trouble. Jabs, jabs that have put down lesser boxers in the past. Jimmy, though, he was tough. A couple of lefts weren't going to put him down. Though, as the first round carried on, his problem became apparent. See, it doesn't matter how much guts you've got. Take enough punches to the face and you're going to swell up. Skin and tissue don't know anything about guts. After three minutes the bell rang again, and Jimmy came back to us, red and beaten. But again, this was always how it was gonna start. We didn't say anything. The cupman didn't say anything. That's the coach's job. The cupman just got to work. I handed him the enswell. That's a piece of metal with a handle you keep on ice. You use it to apply pressure, stop the blood flow. The cupman, of course, had a full custom set he'd brought with him perfectly contoured to the direct proportions of Jimmy's face, and he'd instructed me beforehand which would be needed for which spots. In this case, the area above and around Jimmy's right eye, where he'd taken the brunt of those jabs. He worked quickly. He had to. The seconds were ticking down. The redness around that eye would turn to puffy swelling eventually, but that process could be slowed down. He pressed hard. He knew exactly where each of the blood vessels in the face were, and which best to apply pressure to. A few seconds left. The inswell came off. A quick but precise smear of Vaseline. The ref called for seconds out. The bell rang. The second round went much like the first, though here and there Jimmy found his own rhythm. Got a few punches into the body. Strong, sapping punches. But not nearly enough to shift the difference. Sloan's conditioning was something else. He had enough stamina to take those body shots and he knew it. Not that I'm saying he was cocky, though. When Jimmy managed to get in there, he kept the guard around his face tight, enduring the pain precisely because he knew what a shot to the head from Jimmy could do. And eventually, without fail, he'd find a way to slip out after a few seconds and land a few more clean jabs. Most of which found their way to Jimmy's right eye. The bell rang again, and as Jimmy's fight was put on hold, our fight against biology began anew. And now, the fight physician was hovering over us. How many clean hits had Jimmy taken already? Five dozen? Six? The doctor loomed, trying to gauge Jimmy's condition as we iced him down. But the doctor also knew that this was the cupman, man, and even if Jimmy was starting to look rough, he didn't look as rough as he could have. So for now, the doctor backed off, and that, too, was part of the cupman's power. He could make a pile of pounded hamburger meat look like it was in fighting shape. And he had. The fight continued, and round after round the strategies unfolded. Our side's plan was simple, but it was really the best we could do with the tools Jimmy had. Trying to land those vicious body shots, trying to wear Sloan down, disrupt his breath, get him to drop that guard. All the while, the cup man warding off a torrent of blood, thick and thin, realigning a cracked nose, extracting a chipped-off chunk of tooth. After he'd taken nearly a hundred punches, i stopped counting. In the fourth, Jimmy's mouth guard had come out, and he'd sliced his tongue on the exposed root. The cup man clamped it to stop the flow, then just gave a jut of the chin that said, swallow the rest. I helped as much as possible. Mostly, I made sure I wasn't in the way. Jimmy, the cup man, me, it was the best we could do. And against a different fighter, it could have worked. I'm sad to say, though, that Sloan was a higher caliber of athlete. The coach had bet on Jimmy's power over Sloan's resilience, and we were losing that bet. Meanwhile, the other corner strategy had nearly come to full fruition, a clean, safe, sure strategy born out of their fighters' natural gifts. Sloan's assault on that right eye had been relentless. In truth, Sloan had been slowing down as the fight carried on. His damage was affecting him just not nearly as much as Jimmy's was, or as rapidly. After round five, that eye was nearly swollen shut. Still, though, the cup man stayed cool and calm, making the best of it, swabs and epinephrine ready for the cuts that began erupting from the swollen, purple flesh. The doctor's faith in the cup man certainly kept them from ending the fight in disqualification. But it was all the same to Sloan's side. By the end of round six, Jimmy's right eye and his fate had been sealed. It came in the last few moments, right before the bell. There's this strange sensation you get during a fight, even when you're just watching from the sideline. This palpable sense of bloodlust just before someone goes in for the kill. A turn in the air that comes ahead of any other indication. Like the taste of metal on your tongue. Sloane threw a jab, though not like the others, not to strike, but just to check the distance. His right fist, the one he'd been holding back for the whole match, tightened, and stepping forward, he let loose a blinding right cross. But Jimmy wasn't an idiot. He saw it coming, and he tightened his guard, just enough that it couldn't get through. But I guess he couldn't hear the coach, and he couldn't see two steps ahead. Because not a half a second later, Sloane's fist came cracking into the side of Jimmy's head. Not the right, Which pulled back after a perfectly executed feint. But Sloane's left, a brutal hook into Jimmy's blind spot. Jimmy staggered. Sloane was already walking away. That was it, I thought. That should have been it. For Jimmy's own sake, that should have been it. But somehow, he stayed on his feet. He managed to raise his gloves, and as the clock ran down to zero, the bell for the round rang. Sloane looked bothered as Jimmy stumbled back into our corner. The crowd around us now whipped up into a frenzy from this death blow met with a heroic refusal to go down. But ultimately, he seemed unconcerned. Even if the round had ended, surely the fight would be stopped. At least, I can only imagine that's what he was thinking. Jimmy collapsed into his seat... The coach asked him if he could still go on, whether he still remembered the plan, as though he didn't look like the victim of a car crash. The cup man started working immediately, cleaning blood and applying gels. But then, he stopped. The the cup man, I mean. His hands were still, and he was just staring at Jimmy. Was this it, I thought? Were we going to call it? But then I realized... He wasn't staring at Jimmy, the person, he was looking intently at Jimmy, the thing, the object, the pile of hamburger meat before him. It was, well, I wasn't sure right at that moment, but the area around his eye, around where he'd taken that hook. This was already deeply strange to me, seeing him so still, but it became even more strange. He spoke. He spoke. In a quiet, dry voice that cut through the air, the coach, in the middle of imploring a half-conscious Jimmy to remember the basics, stopped. He was as stunned as I was. Four words was all he said. Ended this round. Jimmy looked up, finally, at the cup man standing over him. It seemed that there was a moment of understanding, and he gave a slight nod was heavy and knowing but only known to the two of them and with that the cupman's hands got back to work doing something else i'd never seen before he took his thumb and sort of mashed it into jimmy's brow where he'd been looking before near the eye the coach looked to me but i was as clueless as he was well nearly as clueless a moment later the physician came over from the other side where Sloan's team had almost certainly been petitioning them to end the match can he go on the doctor should have been asking jimmy this but instead he asked the cupman deferring to his obvious expertise perhaps if they'd inspected jimmy themselves they'd have seen what the cupman had but they didn't and the cupman simply nodded the doctor looked intently at the cupman but there was nothing on that face to see. Their eyes then drifted up and around. Crowd were stamping their feet. The cheers were reaching a fever pitch. Let them fight, they cried. Some called out Jimmy's name, some Sloan's. But really, they all wanted the same thing. A knockout. Perhaps getting a bit swept up in things. That's what the doctor wanted too. They nodded back to the cup man, then turned and nodded to the ref. The ref called for seconds out. Sloan's coach screamed in protest, but it fell on deaf ears. Jimmy rose, somehow, and the bell rang. He lurched forward. He was bashed up and beyond bloody, but step by step he made his way toward his opponent. And Sloan, he looked horrified. It was like looking at the face of a man who had just seen a ghost. Or a homicide. And maybe that shock, that hesitation, is how he let Jimmy slip into range. Maybe it's why his hands were down when they shouldn't have been. But before he knew it, Jimmy DeCosta's right hand was rocketing towards him like an artillery shell. Sloane instinctively threw a counter. A left counter, his look of horror ratcheting all the way up to terror but it was too little too late. The blokes landed simultaneously, and even though Jimmy was barely standing himself, he knocked Sloane clear off his feet and down onto the mat. The hall erupted with cheers. As the referee rose from checking on the man laying face down, you could barely hear the bell ring as he waved his arms, calling the match to a stop. I was screaming too. I, I couldn't believe it. Not a minute earlier. I would thought we'd been finished. And now a decisive reversal KO after rounds of punishment. Grit overcoming talent. What a fight. What a story. I looked at the cupman. He hadn't given up. He'd pushed Jimmy to the brink. Well past the brink. And Jimmy had gone right along with him. Jimmy stood there in the middle of the ring now, with his back to us. He must have been taking it all in. The victory, the crowd's love... He was gazing up, his arms slack. And then, he fell to his knees. Then drooped forward the rest of the way. The doctor rushed forward to take a look at him, only seconds later calling for a stretcher. They had to scream over the crowd to be heard, and even then you could barely make it out. As they carried him away, I tried in vain to understand what was going on, so I turned back to my mentor the cup man, for anything. But I saw nothing. Not a calm, cool expression. Not even a blank one. What I saw was not the face of a man, but simply a void, barren of anything I could draw emotion or sentiment from. Good work, the void said. We'll win cleaner next time. Jimmy DeCosta was dead before they got him to the locker room. He was probably dead before they'd even gotten him out of the hall. His right orbital had been completely shattered, and it seemed that somehow, they said, a long, thin sliver of bone had twisted its way around and been driven right into his brain. A freak accident, one in a million chance. And when I heard those details, a lot more things made sense. Sloane had looked like he'd seen a ghost, because he had. He'd felt the feedback of that left hook, the one that had cracked Jimmy's skull into dozens of tiny pieces. He knew what kind of damage he'd done. The fight should have been ended. And that last counter jab, the one that likely drove the bone shard to deadly depth, well, there was no helping that. Worries for your opponent's health aside, you can't just undo years spent honing one's instincts. Though, I don't think anyone blames Sam Sloane anyway. No, if only the fracture had been caught earlier. If only someone had seen the tip of that sliver poking its way out of Jimmy's brow. A doctor might have been able to do something about it. But, like I said, a cup man isn't really a doctor. They can't be, you see. A doctor swears an oath to do no harm. But a cupman swears no such thing. Their oath is to the goddess of victory, and some take that to greater lengths than others. I couldn't go to those lengths. I liked Jimmy, though I understand that Jimmy wanted to win, to prove something. And he did, number two in the rankings, probably the best he would have ever done, and he knew it. The cup man gave that to him when they struck a bargain in that moment. A win. A hero's death. I couldn't have done that for him. But he could. And that's why he's the best. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Patrons can listen to The Wrong Station ad-free, as well as get access to bonus episodes, discussions, and more. This week's episode, "Cupman," Man, was written and performed by Anthony Botello. Thank you to Courtney Boyer, Matthew Delahaye, Violent Zach, Adam Gomez, Matt, and a very special thanks to Benjamin Corey and Jonathan Hatton for helping us keep the lights, well, off. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Alan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and email us at at gmail.com. And until next time. Thank you for listening.